0: with this week's show. First off let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners and if this is your first time listening to the show I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show I've got Alif Bland. He is a former player of the Cheshire Phoenix and Bristol Flyers of the British Basketball League but not forgetting he has also had stints in Germany, Japan and Mexico and South America, to name just a few. So, obviously, today's uh, topic we're going to look into getting Leaf's insight as to what it takes to be a professional basketball player and kind of the trials and tribulations, what that brings along the way. Thanks for coming on the show, Leaf. No problem, thanks. For uh, so, we were talking briefly off air uh, about your basketball career and what could you explain to the both the listeners and the, the the followers on youtube how you got about into basketball in the first place and what was what was kind of the catalyst to want to what you wanted to do in terms of taking up the sport
1: um well i don't really have the most conventional story when it comes to basketball um i started in 11th grade so around 15 16 with basketball um competitively i never used to play it really i was more into track or volleyball um and because i was so tall everyone was like you know you should play basketball (laughs) (laughs) and uh that you know at first i was being really stubborn because i'm like just because i'm tall doesn't mean i want to play basketball um but then I, I just tried it one summer and I really started to like it. Um wasn't good by any means, but um it piqued my interest. And then I started to I played on the uh on the J V team and then I played varsity my my senior year, but I got injured. Um I was growing really fast, so it injured my I injured myself in that sense. And um so I didn't really play that much my senior year. I was thankful enough to get to go to college. Um, and, um, once I was there, that's where I started to really develop. Um, like I picked up work habits and, you know, how to work out and, you know, skill workouts to get better. And then it grew into a love for the game. And I never, never thought that I would play professionally. Um, but, after college, everyone was like, "You definitely need to go play because you know you've grown to such a great player." And um, and then once I did, I understood I could I could do it at this level, and um, just took it from there.
0: And you talk about that you did uh, obviously volleyball and track in high school did you kind of use those skills that you'd learned in those two sports to transfer over to basketball?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, th- I actually still played track while I was in college. And I ran, I actually went to nationals one year as well. Um, and it was definitely something that helped me because I believe all sports help each other. So um, it was something that helped me because with volleyball, the the vertical leaping, that that was a great plus for basketball and with track the speed and footwork that you need for track really helped especially me playing as a a big man like a forward and a center that was something that really helped because a lot of big men don't really have the footwork that they should have or that like a guard would have so that helped me to have that edge over most people who played in my position so Yes, it was a big plus, and I definitely used those things that I learned in track and volleyball over
0: to basketball. And you talk about that you had the opportunity to go onto that collegiate stage um, after high school. What level did you get to play at? Um,
1: So I played at um, Division II NCAA, um, and at first they weren't even... Division two, they were um, what's called NAIA, and it's like the second tier. And um, because one, our basketball team was doing so well, it had brought more attention to the school, more following to the school. We actually were able to move up to D2 and NCAA. And um, so that was a good accomplishment just for our school and, um, you know, personally for our team it was It was nice to see the recognition of our hard work you know
0: and then in terms of uh for the listeners that don't know the collegiate system in the us, what would be the uh, kind of we'll, we'll kind of do it from a, a school perspective, what are kind of the enrollment size differences between your school, for example, and that of a division one? uh we'll say for example uh, a a division 1 school in the, in the same state and obviously from that the attendance is different differences in terms of what crowd you can generate for a big game
1: um so our schools roughly around i want to say like 6 to 7 maybe 8 at the most thousand um, and that's really small. Uh, I want to say a D1 school that, let's see, in my state, a D1 school would be probably around 60,000 people. And that's <laughs> huge. Like, that's that's really huge. And um, as for games, depending on the school and how good they are, yeah the The numbers you could have at that gym is astronomical. Um, I mean some of the stadiums are like football stadiums, so they could have i mean up to thirty forty thousand people fit in there, and most of the time it's about ninety percent full so um they could they could definitely put most of the school into a gym and that's what they usually try and do because it brings so much revenue in college sports brings so much money. It's ridiculous how much money it brings into the school. Um, so it's, it's, uh, something that they really, you know, try and push to get people to come to the games because you think about it, it's not only the students, sometimes it's the students, parents as well, or family. So that just brings in even more, even more people. So yeah, it's, uh, really different compared to the UK, especially with how many people actually come to not just basketball, but just sports in general. Um, I mean, I guess football would would be up there as one of the sports that could, you know, understand with the amount of people that come to the games, amount of fans. But um, other than that, like at the collegiate level, I don't think none of the schools there, have really experienced that.
0: (laughs) No, uh, it's probably something I I can attest to talking to different people on different podcasts about obviously that level of exposure that you get in the U S and it's more or less a cultural thing in terms of you have that structure in place of, okay, high school basketball or say college sport, uh, high school sport in general is played on a Friday night, you move over to college, college sport being played on Saturday predominantly. And obviously, in terms of American football, obviously, if you use the football analogy, you'll start, so we'll say American football, you'll start on that Friday night for high school, yeah. Saturday for college, and move on to, if you're good enough, play on Sunday. And that is kind of a cultural, I will not say phenomenon, but it, in terms of you have a... System in place that if you want to get from A to B, this is the, this is the the curve you want to follow. And, and in terms of uh, the collegiate system, it is as you say, it is a business in itself. In terms of yeah. uh, what revenue it brings into the university, in terms of its uh, television exposure and things like that, be it in state and nat- or nationally. So All this right. is the, a question I'd like, well, to the best of your ability. Uh, this is probably a big one in, in terms of uh, national exposure in the U.S. And uh, some of the listeners might have not not heard about this, but in terms of uh, ex collegiate athletes now, su- well, I wouldn't say suing their their former alma mater's about being obviously paid for their time. Right. at their univer- respective universities because the university is making money off them but the only recognition the college athlete gets is obviously that full scholarship. So what I would like to ask you is what is your take on that situation about collegiate athletes getting paid? Mm.
1: Well, I definitely believe that they should get some type of compensation. Um, because it it actually is very hard. I mean, granted at a higher level, they get a little bit more than some like at the D two level, D three level, but they also have to do a lot more. They have a lot more advertisements. They have a lot of more, uh, a lot more practice and also they're traveling traveling a lot more. And, um, I think they don't put that into like um, consideration when they're actually, you know, doing these things. And also, they're selling these players' jerseys, merchandise, and making millions off of it. Not just, and that's just merchandise alone. I mean, they're obviously making a lot of money off of the tickets that they sell and screen time for playing on CBS with one of the uh, national television um, well, uh, not websites, but the television channels. And um, they make so much money off of that, off of these players just playing a game, yet they can get none of that money or receive any type of compensation, I think is a little outlandish. And um, I think it's kind of taken advantage of them. Granted, they are young so they they don't really need that much money in their pockets but it does help to have you know some sort of money in your pocket or just to know that you know what you're doing is being appreciated I guess um, it helps it to, it helps you to feel more appreciated if you're getting a little compensation for what you're doing granted they're not professional so they shouldn't be getting paid millions or Uh, You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's not where they're at right now because then that would take away from what they're actually trying to do and being a student athlete and making sure they get that actual degree and um, and then, you know, just the ego of it all, the psychological aspects of them thinking that they're a professional athlete, they can't be trained and all this stuff because they think they're already there. Um, It would kind of take away from the NBA, but I do believe that they, yes, they should have some type of
0: compensation. And in terms of that, that you say, what was your personal uh, circumstances as far as the D- D2 scholarship?
1: Um, so I got partial scholarship. Um, at the time, they weren't able to do full scholarships um, because we were in AIA and then we moved to NCAA. Um, but in that process, we weren't they weren't able to give a full scholarship. So while I was there, I was never allowed to get a full scholarship, but I got the highest scholarship they were able to release, but it was only a partial scholarship. So it paid for about 75 or 80% of my, you know, my total college, um, career. So I was blessed to have that though, because a lot of people have so much, Money they have to um, pay back at the at the time, and I don't. Granted, I still have to pay some back. It's just it's not as bad. Um, and then they would like pay for my books and things in that nature. So.
0: And in terms of, uh, I think the argument they raise as former athletes is, it only covers well. We'll say for the D1 perspective. They say that obviously their full scholarship only covers um, was it food Monday to Friday, but they only get, and this is off the top of my head now. I think it was between fifty and a hundred dollars for the weekend, and then in the week they're getting, I think it's like twice as much. What 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 did you have to do in your personal circumstances to cover, obviously the shortfalls that you had because you were only on a partial scholarship all right
1: uh, well i mean um see i had to, i paid extra to get a meal plan um and it was you get three meals a day and i think it was one no it was two meals on the weekend i believe Or two meals every day on the weekend and um when we were We would go for trips and everything. It depends on the the college because ours, he would just pay for us, like three meals he would pay for us. But if we did, you know, obviously there's so much time between those meals. So um, we would have to come up with whatever we wanted to eat during those times. And um, granted, my parents tried to help me but it was hard, you know, trying to help me and help, you know, take care of themselves and, you know, because I'm already in college and I'm away from home. Um, So I would get like a job on campus and um, I would work just to get, you know, work a few hours a week, just to have some type of money in my pocket. And it was tough because, you know, I obviously had school, I had basketball and I had a job. So, it was uh it was a lot of work and i feel like i would have been able to study more and practice more if i didn't have to worry about money and food you know so um it's a it's
0: an interesting um concept and then once you graduate obviously um the british fans kind of know you from your time at um cheshire phoenix and bristol flyers right um what was it like coming in initially to uh well it is a different country and a different culture what was it like that first season in the bbl Mm. um
1: at first it was really it was just like shell shock honestly um very different um kind of scary just to be somewhere so far where I didn't know anyone and didn't know anything really about the country. Um, And it was a, it turned out to be a great experience, honestly, Um, made some lifelong friends and people I consider like family. And that actually made it a lot better. Um, But it's it was really funny to see the difference in how people are in England compared to being from New York and the aggressive nature of people in New York and then the you know slow-paced, very family-oriented, friendly nature of the UK. It was just a uh, complete opposite. And um, it took me a while to get used to it, honestly. But then once I got used to it, it was like, I had been there for 10 years, you know what I mean? It felt like I was always part of this community. So that was actually very, very welcoming and very comforting to see. That's why I like England so much.
0: And then you were kind of, well, I kind of kept kept in touch because I'm from the same areas, uh, well, near and near enough to where Cheshire Phoenix is based. We kind of kept in touch later on and right. you were saying... Where did you, you ended up playing in South America yeah, for a little bit. Uh, where else did you uh, kind of take your talents to after the, well, the first year in Cheshire and then the time in between uh, going from Cheshire to playing at Bristol? Where, where did you kind of have to take a job?
1: Um, well, I went to Mexico and I played there for a little while. That was actually not a good experience. Um, I left there probably within a month and a half. Um, That was a rough place to be. Um, (laughs) But then after that, I went to Germany, and I really liked it in Germany. It was a good experience. Um, And then I played in... Wait, no, where did I go? I played in Germany, then I went to... Ecuador and then Bristol, I believe, and then I played in um, I played in Japan this past season
0: and then obviously some fans may or may not know obviously the sacrifices well a professional athlete has to come to terms with to progress their career. Could you kind of well not going into great detail. Can of explain some of the trials and tribulations you've had to endure throughout your career?
1: Um, well, the main one is just the difference, the cultural difference of being in a different country by yourself. Um, if you really don't know too much about the country that you're going into, it can be a complete culture shock. Uh, so that's one of the main things that's hard for a lot of people because they're so set in their ways of being wherever they're from and maybe not going around and traveling that much. So from being there all the time and then leaving and going into a completely new place by yourself is very challenging for a lot of people. Um, Also, you know, just being away from your family is a, is a big second. Uh, I have a daughter, so it was tough for me to leave, you know leave her granted she was very young at the time um so it was easier that way but it's very hard leaving your family because you know that's your family so it's hard to you know not be able to talk to them all the time especially depending on where you are there's um time zone differences so sometimes you'll be up and they'll be asleep and then vice versa so it was hard to like communicate with them and um so it was tough in that sense, for sure. And also being an import for sports is held to such a high standard. There's not really any like job security for imports. So you have to always maintain this high level of playing ability or it was just going to be like, you know, you it's time for you to go and we got to get someone else in to do what you were supposed to be doing. So it's always that stress of, Always being able to, you know, play at that level and produce whatever they need you to produce, um, which was uh, a, you know, a big task. But I, it kept people going because, you know, it gave you something to, to pay attention to, I guess. Um, so you won't worry about, you know, not being here, not being at home or not seeing your family. So I guess it has you know, it's pros and it's cons.
0: And you, you you bring up that point of uh, import players being uh, in a way held to a higher standard. Do you, do you think, in terms of uh, certain leagues, that that you've had the opportunity to play in? Do you think that is a you, you raise it as a, a pro, pros and cons of it? Do you believe it's can be a de- detriment on your game at times because obviously you're you're having to think about, well, if I don't play well, I could lose my contract.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, for sure. It definitely can. Um, it's hard not to think like that, but you have to try not to because honestly, if you think about it all the time, you're not going to be able to focus on the game um, because you do have, everyone has bad games. So it's not like, you're not going to you're you're not Michael Jordan so you're, and even he had bad games so like i feel like a lot of players go through that you know especially newer players go through that where they're thinking about like uh oh, i need to i need to produce or they're going to let me go or they're going to send me home whatever and it's really not as bad i mean granted you can easily go home but that focusing on that is detrimental to yourself because it's only going to make you play worse. So I tried not to really worry about it as much during the game. (laughs) Granted, before and after the game, I'm, you know, worrying about it. But during the game, I tried to just focus on the game because if I were to think about that, you know, just get in my head. And, you know, so I I tried to really shy away from thinking about that
0: while playing. And you, you raised that point early on about, uh, obviously the cultural aspect of, uh, moving from country to country. Uh, if we bring it back to more on the basketball side of things, did you find that you had to adjust to a, how would I put it? Uh, a cultural way of officiating from country to country and how they interpreted the rules in that particular country.
1: Mm. Um, I did. Yes. Uh, I think one, they have their own rules for Americans as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a lot of officials would, you know, I got, want to say like, how do I put it? They would see different calls for Americans or not see them for Americans because of who we are, um. Granted, that's not okay. I, I, I wish they would do it in a, in a equal way, I guess. But I, I do think that in that sense, how I was saying we're held to a higher standard, I think even the officials hold people, like the imports to a higher standard. And with rules and how they call things, especially on the court, um, varies to how good you are and how they see you, how good they see you. And um, so, I mean, especially as a big man, big men don't really get that many calls to begin with anyways. But being an American import big man playing against British or European players there, like, they see that as, oh, he should be stronger. He should be able to fight through it. So they don't usually give you as many calls. Or um, for guards, they really, really look for, like, officials they really look for uh, traveling or offensive fouls they really look for those because uh oh americans are always traveling or americans are so aggressive so we gotta you know try and protect our players i guess um but i i've seen that in, and it's different in every league that i've been in um south america is probably probably the least change because everyone's kind of at a, the same level because it's basketball is really big in South America. Um, but Japan was actually the, the draft the most drastic change I've seen where they really cater to their countrymen. So like they make sure that they're okay. They make sure they're not getting, um, you know, hurt or injured or fouled a lot or, you know, they re- they're really very meticulous when it comes to looking at Americans. So, It was was a learning experience because you really had to learn on the fly. I think I got maybe four offensive fouls in my first two games and like three travel calls. (laughs) But, um, I mean, you learn as soon as you, you know, you have to learn on the fly because, like I said, your job's on the line, so you learn pretty quickly.
0: And in terms of the leagues that you did play in, which was the most physical?
1: Um, probably I would say Japan, honestly, um, because like I was saying, they didn't really call that many things for the Japanese players. Um, so we had to score with, you know, people like pulling your arms down and, you know, just like really trying to take you out of your game. And, um, it helped me though, in the long run, because now I expect that. So it, You know, it made me more aggressive on the court and uh, make me able to play stronger and harder. So it it was a good thing in the long run. But it's you know it was (laughs) as I was playing, it was kind of not what I was looking Mm. for.
0: And my final question before we wrap it up: Um, If you had a choice of all the places that you've played in, what where would you most likely wanted to play uh, for a longer period of time, if that was your choice?
1: Hmm. Um, if we're strictly going off of how I would have to live there and um, while playing pro ball and everything, I would say England because, honestly, I loved England. That's why I went back the second time. I loved England so much. So it was it was great it was a great experience um, being there in England. And then going to from Cheshire to going to Bristol, and it was a complete different change. So it was like wow, there's so much going on here. But it was a crossover between America and like Europe to me. So I feel like that would be my main place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, basketball wise, probably I would say. Hmm. Germany was actually really good basketball wise. Uh, I really liked the basketball. It was very high, uh, fast paced, and high intensity um, basketball, which I, I like that. Um, so I would say for basketball, Germany to live in
0: England, though. Okay, that's quite an interesting point. And finally, what would you like to say to either the supporters of the Cheshire Phoenix or the Bristol Flyers as a, as a thank you for well obviously those that appreciation for the I think it was two years that you were over here in the end then yeah so what what would you like to say say to them
1: man there's <laughs> it's too much to say <laughs> like uh, <laughs> I'll just honestly just want to thank them and thank you thank them for being so honest and real and taking us in especially with the as we were the Cheshire Jets into the Phoenix in um, that transition that was so helpful and it made things so much easier for us to take off of worrying about that and basketball it made it so much easier and um, I mean like I said before I made lifelong friends and people I consider like family to me and in um, the same in Bristol i I Never experienced that in America outside of my own family where people are so welcoming right from the start. And um, that Bristol gave me that as well as Cheshire. And uh, I just thank them so much and wish I could be there on a daily basis. You know what I mean? I wish England was closer.
0: So yeah, so thanks very much, Ali, for taking the time out your your busy day and your family life. Um, and also, oh, so one one we didn't raise is that you're now, uh, what was it, uh, assistant coach for your old university? Yes, yeah. So you're very very bit
1: trying to get them ready, man. It's a different aspect being a coach.
0: Oh yeah, but you've 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 been there and seen it all. So you kind of kind of when they're in that that having that hard day, you can say, well, I've yeah. been I've been in your shoes. Right. <laughs> so just push through it to a certain extent so I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out and uh, keep an eye on see how your school is doing and well we'll say you got a, a little fan over this side of the world <laughs> in the terms of, we'll keep, I'll keep in, well I'll either keep in touch with you or keep an eye out on social media and see how the school's getting on yeah but for sure w- once again Alif thanks very much for taking the time out of your day thank you for I'm having the me show. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short written review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in the future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank
1: you.